Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. We're recording this episode on April 10th, about four weeks into the COVID-19 response in the U.S. And while we're painfully aware of the impact this virus is having on our lives and the economy, we're still trying to get our hands on how to deal with that impact and how to work as law firms and law departments uh, in this new world. Today, I've asked three in-house attorneys to join me via teleconference to share what they're doing to work with their organizations and help them navigate through this unprecedented time. Today, we're very fortunate to have Christine Brown, VP and Assistant General Counsel and Compliance Officer, Hub Americas with reinsurance company uh, SCORE, S-C-O-R, Amber Harrison, who leads compliance contracts and legal management with Mitsubishi Aircraft Corporate America, and Andrew Walsh, Chief Legal Officer and General Counsel uh, here in North Carolina with Partners Behavioral Health Management. So Christine is joining us from Jersey City with a beautiful view of the New York skyline. Amber's joining us from Seattle. So I appreciate everyone's uh, willingness. And one of the virtues of this virtual environment is we can join from different parts of the country. Uh, thanks to each of you for, for being here. Thanks for having us. It's great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate it. And, and this is a tough time for folks, um, both on the personal level with worrying about the disease, perhaps having loved ones uh, that are infected, but also dealing with the totally remote environment and everything else. Uh, one of the things I wanted to start with is just how you are prioritizing things. And maybe, maybe Christine, I'll, I'll start with you. I mean, one of the biggest challenges in a crisis like this is just figuring out where to give your attention. How, how are you trying to handle those priorities? Well, one of the things I, I think I'm, whether fortunate or unfortunate, is I'm not married or have children. So my apartment, which is now my office, um, really can go 24-7, 365. I don't have to worry about, you know, kids' homework and, and schooling and whatnot. Um, and work has just been crazy busy. Um, there's so many things that, that have been popping up that we didn't think about or, you know, trying to, um, you know, get, setting the right priorities. Like on Mondays, I always have a call with my boss to say, hey, this is my intent for the week. This is what I want to do. And, for example, this Monday I had a great plan and nothing that I wanted to do has, has gotten done this week. It's been crazy busy. Um, we had about 60 to 70 new hires in, in the first quarter. Wow. Um, so they didn't get to go through a normal onboarding process. Some of them have four computers, some do not. So I've been conducting compliance training all week in our bits where I've taken it down to between eight and 10 people per Microsoft team session to conduct basically the, the, the onboarding training from the compliance perspective that they need. Um, and that has brought about new challenges that I had not thought, thought of, which is you don't have the interaction because I'm not seeing the attendees. Um, and typically, you know, you, you judge, you look at their faces, you can tell if they're understanding or if they're falling asleep. Um, when I do mm -hmm. questions and answer periods or, you know, during the training to bring up, things up, I'll typically like throw out chocolate. Some people want the chocolate. <laughs> and you can't really do that remotely. Oh, those are some of the different things we're doing. Right. Are, are you using video or is that mainly by phone? Or how, how are you doing well, we're, that? We're using Microsoft Teams video, but I'm sharing my screen with the PowerPoint on it. So they could see me and the PowerPoint. But I, it's hard for me to see them because it's super, super tiny. Uh, um, yeah, definitely not the same thing as that live interaction. 
How about you, Amber? What are, what are, how are you dealing with priorities and are you able to get any normal stuff done? Oh man, um, so I, I echo Christine. It's, it's one of those things where you just have to wake up every day and you have to say, okay, I'm gonna roll with the punches. Um, you know, right before uh, this, this situation started, um, we had sat down as a, as a team and developed these beautiful 2020 goals and uh, had really put a lot of thought and effort into how we were going to accomplish, you know, Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And that's changed. So, you know, we've, we've had to spend a lot of time um, identifying what we can salvage, how we can do that and reassess, you know, what what's more important today. Um, a big part of what I do is COVID response these days. So if a, if a COVID question uh, comes into my inbox, sorry, it gets, uh, it gets priority over a lot of other things. Um, and so as far as that response is concerned, my priority is understanding and navigating that line between what's technically legal and what's morally right. Because so many states, Washington included, we have this proclamation that identifies essential versus non-essential. There's all this gray area, this, this what, what many attorneys are probably just chomping at the bit to get to, to you know, get their businesses back up and running and get their businesses working again. Um, and so I, that's my big priority is to identify, okay, can we do this? And further, should we do this? That's great. Now, that's helpful. In a minute, I want to ask you about, you know, kind of what resources you're turning to for some of those COVID answers. But let's see, let's bring Andrew in. And, and Andrew, tell us about your, how you are trying to prioritize and, and, and that balance of trying to get stuff done versus putting out the, the fire that pops up every, every 10 minutes. Priorities uh, change minute to minute, day to day. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, in, and we're in the healthcare industry, so it's even more uh, a little crazy for us. Uh, we are a uh, primarily a Medicaid payor. We have some other payment, state funded and county funded uh, sources also. We do uh, mental health, uh, substance use, and intellectual developmental disabilities. So we're not quite, quite on the front line like the, our, our ERs and others are, but our uh, members, our health plan members, are and we have a network of uh, healthcare providers who are on the front line. And so, from a legal standpoint, I'm just one of the team of folks who are making sure everything keeps working and keeps running. Uh, you know, our top priority is really finding out what's going on uh, with each of our providers and members. Uh, to Amber's point, there's a lot of vague stay-at-home orders, there's a lot, a lot of new legislation, regulations. We're on the phone almost daily. Uh, I'm on at least weekly with the state uh, talking about their most recent orders, designing and suggesting what we're referring to as flexibilities, what regulations are getting in the way of actually serving individuals in need. Uh, and so that really is our foundational priority is serving those individuals. and. Uh, and then my legal department, I don't know how it compares to y'all, but it's a little different than the normal one. I have the program integrity investigators. Uh, I handle all the grievances that come from every which way. We handle utilization management, Medicaid uh, denial appeals uh, that go through the administrative law judges here in the state who have 
pushed off all cases except for Medicaid. So those are still going on telephonically. Uh, the uh, it's there's a lot of that stuff that we normally do that is getting a little tougher because at least we uh, in the past we were able to uh, be together in one room. Now, you know, even if we were doing some of the hearings telephonically, now we have to have the attorney separate from the witnesses and the exhibits, and it's and so you. It's all of that level of detail that has really consumed a lot of the time. Uh, and then a lot of it is just really uh, the priority is whatever the priority of the day happens to wind up being. We had one individual who was uh, an IDD individual who was in the ER, uh, presumably with COVID. It took uh, days for them to find out whether they had COVID or not. Meanwhile, mom, who was an ER nurse, was not allowed in to see the individual who was, uh, uh, I believe, no longer a, uh, uh, I think he was a ward, an adult ward. And so they finally, the test results came back uh, negative. Uh, even before that, we had a team on the ground that was trying to make sure that mom was able to go in, get the PPE to go in and see the individual. He test came back negative, uh, and yet he still died five days later of, uh, of pneumonia. And uh, we were dealing with all of the legal ramifications, trying to work with our folks on the ground as well as to how do you make that happen. Candidly, I can't take any credit. Our our team uh, in other departments did a lot of it and were able to uh, work with the other providers. But that was the priority for a few days along with a number of others. It's just whatever happens to pop up. And let me thank you on behalf of many people, uh, Andrew, you and your team and all the healthcare providers that are out there. This is truly a you know, a crisis moment, and we're so grateful for what folks are doing and rising to the challenge on a number of fronts. So um, I do appreciate that. Well, I'll share that with others. I can't take credit myself, but I'll share that with the others. We'll, we'll pass it on. We'll view you as the representative of healthcare here on the call. So I, I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. And I know it's extra stressful there because the rest of us are dealing with the isolation and the shutdown orders and the other stuff, but uh, happily most of us are not yet on the medical front line. So I think that's that's great. I wanted to, I know you've all talked about these COVID issues and I'm interested in, in resources or tips that you might have to, to find some of the answers, particularly in these gray areas. I know, Amber, you talked about, you know, all these COVID questions. Where are, are you going to, to websites or calling lawyers or, or how, how are you trying to get information so that you can answer the flood of, of questions that comes in? It's honestly a combination of things. Um... There, there are podcasts that you could listen to, obviously. Um, great, great. Right? <laughs> there are so many great uh, news sources, you know, just waking up in the morning and checking Apple News. Um, I, get, I get slightly terrified, but I'm able to, to start planning my day. Um, and, and a lot of it, though, is gray. You know, we're in a, we're in a time that most of us have have never experienced anything like this and so you you can obviously look at all these resources and consult attorneys or uh read the law or read the the proclamations but so much of it is also just uncertain and it's being able to assess the information and making the best educated uh decision that you can from that um, so I, I feel like, at least for me personally, it's a lot of it's a lot of absorbing 
information. It's a lot of uh, different sources that I'm reviewing and looking at, but ultimately it's a gut check for me. And it goes back to, to the discussion of, uh, of just a few moments ago of what's legal and what's morally right. And I, I think that's a question that we should all be asking ourselves, especially um, those of us that are that are in that non-essential category, if you will, is uh, what is best for the health and safety of my employees. Um, uh, Christine or and Andrew, thoughts on on either on resources or how to make some of those calls. Um, any, any tips or suggestions there? Well. On the reinsurance insurance side, we're really fortunate in that we don't have to make that determine essential worker, not essential worker, because globally we are all working from home. Um, and our company was very proactive, and we actually went work from home globally before the shelter-in-place rules came into effect. Our company said, look, our, the health of our employees is the most important thing. Um, they're giving us resources. Um, you, you can go online and order second monitors and um, headsets and, and keyboards and anything that you need so that you can continue at home. Um, our underwriters have been very busy working with the regulators on coverage issues, what's covered, what's not. Um, and you know, mm -hmm. Paul, that's very, very specific and I fortunately I don't have to work on that either. And it's really for me spending time making sure our employees feel cared for, they have the resources they need. Um, we have created, uh, we have additional like behavioral, emotional support places they can call through. Like we go into our ADP website, an employee working from home, they can you know click on a link and be connected to a professional who can help them sort through any of the issues that they may have while they're working. So it's a little bit different than, than what Amber um, is having to deal with having the you know the, the factory workers and different you know individuals that are in the field and making that determination of to work or not to work. Yeah, that's interesting. And I know, I mean, interesting, the medical resources too. I, I was on another webinar and I, obviously telemedicine is something a lot of people are trying to do now when they can't see their doctors. But I was amazed to learn that roughly 80% of all calls are anxiety and depression related. So we've got real mental health concerns, which isn't, I mean, people have legitimate reason to be anxious um, and obviously being, you know, cut off from a lot of their normal connections is is causing that. Um, and Andrew, I know you you may be even more connected to that. I'm interested in your thoughts either on some of the the mental health stuff or the or the kind of resources you turn to. Yeah, for us, uh, as it's as it's really kind of evolved in this conversation, uh, there's there's kind of two different uh, the resources are going towards two different focuses. One, of course, is uh, our staff. Uh, and then, as I originally said, it goes to our stakeholders, in particular our health plan members, uh, and they're very different. For us as an organization, we have gone over to remote work a couple of years ago for about half of our staff anyway. Uh, so some of that, we'd already scaled that learning curve and the technology curve. Uh, however, a lot of those folks who were remote working weren't working from home. They were working in the fields, going to the hospitals and other places to meet up with folks with mental health and substance use problems. Uh, a lot of our health plan members don't live in their own homes anymore. They're in residential housing throughout the uh, state. And, uh, and the ability for our team to be able to go out and see them 
to do assessments, do their planning, help them with the treatments uh, was compromised. And so we had to come up with ways to do that. And then, of course, the providers are like a lot of businesses, and a lot of these are uh, smaller businesses. So they're concerned about uh, exactly as Christine was saying is what they're doing is it covered? Will my program integrity team come in after all of this crisis and say you didn't dot your I's, you didn't cross your T's, and therefore you owe us some of this uh, money back or things like that? And so we're trying to be very careful on the front end to make sure that health and safety of both our staff and our health plan members are protected, but otherwise be as flexible as we can in allowing uh, certain things to be done. A classic example is like the uh, telehealth and teledoc, the service definitions that were designed for coverage uh, might be a little rigid for a number of folks who weren't early into the telehealth. And then, of course, you have the site issues of, you know, they've been approved for a telehealth site at the doctor's office, but not necessarily uh, from their own homes or something like that. So then you get into these really deep into the weeds over uh, codes, and actually entire meetings are being held on how to change the codes to allow these flexibilities so the providers can be paid so they can keep their doors open so that the health plan members can get the services that they need. So it gets really kind of wild and crazy, unfortunately. Uh, for me, I'm surrounded by a lot of smarter folks. Uh, for us, you know, from the legal department standpoint, uh, working remote has been fairly easy. We use Zoom for a lot of our meetings. Uh, the, the executive leadership team on which I'm on was meeting twice a day on just COVID by Zoom. Uh, we've gotten it down to almost a flash call now as we uh, to find out what is developed in those particular areas. So there's a lot of resources kind of going in that area, uh, but. Uh, the remote work for me and my team has not been as difficult as it probably has been for other parts of the organization. And so that's where I want to spend a lot of my time and resources. Gotcha. Thanks, Andrew. And, and Christine, I know you talked at the very beginning about some of the challenges of onboarding new people remotely. Are, are there other <laughs> things that you've had to, you know, that have been challenging remotely or, or challenging for you in terms of relating to people? How has that transition been? So my team is all over the world, so we're global. And so I've been working video conference, you know, remotely establishing relationships, relationships with people. Um, so that I think this part has come very easy for me. Um, I have just finished my first internal investigation ah, remotely. Remote investigations. Ooh, interesting. And that was really <laughs> challenging. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't like finance issue. It was, you know, more of a behavioral type thing. Um, and for, thank God for, for video conferencing because one of the things when I'm interviewing witnesses and interviewing the, you know, the reporter or the, you know, the, the, the target of the investigation, really body language and facial expression tells you so much when trying to determine the veracity of what the individual is saying. Um, so video conferencing has helped, but there have been a few instances depending on where the individuals live and their, their website connections at home Sometimes you lose like every other word, and that has been for me very, very frustrating. And we're just we're working around it and, and trying to find ways because we have to continue business as usual. It, when when helpline claims come in, we have to look at them because if we don't, you know, we can't say, oh, we're, we're, we're not in the office, it doesn't matter. But it does matter because managers are still interacting with their team. And, you know, depending on the person, they can have more stressors going on now and then, you know, it's being pushed to their team and how they treat people. 
So, you know, my job, I think, is even more important than ever in really trying to connect, get the investigations done timely, you know, reaching out to, to teams um, and, and other people in the organization. And I have started a Friday night happy hour. <laughs> so every night at, at 4 o'clock, it started with my, uh, my, uh, the America's licensing team and is now my America's licensing team and my trade sanctions team and a few other random folks who decided to show up. <laughs> who need a happy um, hour. I hear, I hear that. And, and, and it's the, the, the role is you, you show up with an adult beverage of your choice, and we don't really talk about work. And it has been hugely successful. And even today, our company gave us the day off. They just decided, look, you guys have been working an insane Great. amount of time, and, you know, take the day. And I went to cancel the meeting, and everybody still wanted to do happy hour. <laughs> so, wow, that's a great so tip. That is um, a great tip. I've only done one virtual happy hour, but it was fun. But I'm hoping to do more. I mean, I think that's, that, is a, that is a great way to connect with people. Certainly, as a litigator, I feel you 100% with the difficulty of doing things remotely. I've got my first remote uh, Zoom mediation on Monday where we're trying to mediate a case, you know, remotely. And some of my partners are trying to figure out doing the remote deposition and, you know, and how to take those depositions. But you're right, there's so much body language and we're so tuned to credibility issues and control over conversation um, that it is, it's a definitely a new world. You know, I have a question for you since, you know, you're talking remote deposition. Um, like Microsoft Teams, for example, they have a feature where you can actually record and Microsoft Teams will give you a transcript. Now, if you're in a deposition, and you know, could you use Teams in the transcripts, or do you still have to have the court reporter? I think our current indications are you probably still need a court reporter there as someone to verify. In North Carolina, actually, and this is a huge problem, the law allows remote depositions but requires a court reporter be where the witness is to verify the witness's identity and to be make sure they're getting an accurate recording. So you can't really do a true remote deposition under the current rules. I'm on the state bar and we're looking at trying to create an exception to that to allow it. South Carolina actually does allow, um, they changed the rule very recently to allow that remote. And most states do allow a true remote uh, deposition, but North Carolina, the concern was you actually have to show uh, photo ID to the court reporter in North Carolina to verify that you are who you are. We had some unfortunate cases of people showing up and not being the actual deponent and giving testimony, <laughs> um, which, which is a little problematic. And so they thought it'd be a great idea you know, for the uh, deponent to have to show ID and the court reporter to verify that. But obviously that is not impossible, but much more difficult to do remotely. I mean, you could hold up the driver's right. license to the screen, but, right. um, you know. That's I, what they're, they're doing that for um, notaries now, because we have, you can do remote notaries with the face and the, and the your, your, you know, ID to the, to the, notary, the notary public. Yeah, no, we're, we're working on an alert that's going to come out next week uh, for our COVID-19 hub about remote notarization and some of those other things, because people are making those adjustments as they try to adapt. But I think that's, I think those are interesting points. I think doing the, uh, you know, the investigation all by video and trying to judge that credibility um, just by looking at someone on a screen, particularly with a poor connection, is is really hard. So, but I commend you for making it work. That sounds great. A Amber, what are your, 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 um, you have both, both good and bad things about uh, remote working or how, how have you been adapting to that environment? Working for a Japanese company, I'm pretty familiar with WebEx and, you know, meeting with, um, with my counterparts in Japan or in Canada or other parts of the world. Um, but what I've really kind of seen as a real positive out of all of this is that we 
clearly crave human interaction. <laughs> and so as Christine was mentioning, just something as simple as a happy hour with your coworkers. I, I, I started doing the same thing uh, last week with my employees. On Monday, I hadn't scheduled Friday's happy hour and I was read the riot act. So, <laughs> you know, that never would have happened <laughs> in, you know, the post COVID or the, pro pardon, yeah. the pre COVID world. Um, I never would have had employees just jumping at the excitement of spending outside of work time with me. Um, and so I really, I do feel there is a certain like coming together of, you know, we're going through this together, we're experiencing this together and on a global level. So it's not just the U.S. that's experiencing this. It's my counterparts in Japan. It's Canada. It's it's worldwide. And so if if there's anything to be said about this, the good things that I see is that people really are coming together and seeing each other as a bit more human and a bit more um, realizing a bit more that we are fragile. Our systems are fragile. Our, our standard world is fragile. So let's really appreciate that. Let's really take the time to say, wow, this is an amazing world that we live in. Um, and so that's, that's the good that I'm seeing from this. Um, the more difficult things, I mean, obviously, there, there is that, that problem with being apart. The culture of my particular company is not one that has ever really done any work from home. And so just sitting at home and working from home, I think, has been a bit difficult for some. Um, but again, given that we're, that we're so familiar with technologies to kind of bring our worlds together, I think that's been an easier transition for us than, than for most other companies. I love the positivity you're bringing, Amber. I think that's I think that's great. Andrew, are you seeing any any upside for for you and your company, and kind of where things are in healthcare? Is there a, are there any silver linings to this from your perspective? You know, it's always dangerous to talk about silver linings in such a serious situation. Uh, it certainly does. Uh, Tesla organization. Uh, my organization, I'm surrounded by psychologists, psychiatrists, licensed social workers, uh, and in particular, uh, a CEO and a leadership team that has always kind of had a strong personal touch in the organization to where we were kind of ready for a lot of this. Uh, I had only recently had started doing with my team uh, some things like uh, the Myers-Briggs and appreciation language, and I've worked on that, and now it's kind of a test. One of the things I've asked, every Monday I push out an email that I call a twig, which is this week's inspiration and goal, and uh, a lot of it early on was, you know, we're still a team even if we're apart, uh, and uh, kind of organically some of the team themselves started an email thread on introverts and extroverts, and how are they handling it, because they do handle it differently. Uh, for some of us, believe it or not, I and people challenge me on this, I'm an introvert. I test as an introvert. Uh, I, I like working remotely. I like being able to, uh, to touch base only when we need to, and otherwise, you know, I was going to be an appellate lawyer when I came out of law school and live in the stacks. I loved it there. Uh, for those of you who are all electronics, uh, stacks are what we used to call law libraries. They had books. <laughs> 
so, so for me, not so much. Uh, for some of the others who are much more extroverted and really enjoy the time one-on-one -on -one with others, it's been more of a challenge for them. So one of the things is make sure to stay in touch with them. Communication has been a huge focus throughout our organization. But then to point that uh, both Anne or Christine alluded to, I have to resist uh, doing all my communications being work-related. Every once in a while, I'll touch base with somebody and just say, how are you doing? How are the kids doing? How's your mom doing? You know, because I know it's like, you know, some of the staff, their families are having issues, uh, even if it's the, the more distant elderly. Christine, I got uh, an aunt up there in New York who's in a nursing home who uh, tested negative for COVID but was put in the COVID wing for a while, and she's just now pulling out of it. Uh, the uh, Yeah, so it was, you know, those types of stories are going on, and I tend to be a heads-down stick to the work, personal is personal, and work is work. And most of us with any kind of HR background appreciate and understand that. But I, I have to teach myself, you know, as part of EQ, is to remember that, uh, you know, I work with people, and they have things going on. And fortunately, we, I had a good group and a good team that already did a lot of that. It just tests you a little bit. When you're at a distance, it tests your ability to make sure that you're not regressing into the negative sides of being an introvert or an extrovert. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's been one of the, uh, I think, one of the greater challenges. Uh, I apologize. That deviated a little bit from your question. Uh, silver lining, I suppose, is that uh, it has tested that and it has reminded us of the value of individuals and people uh, and that we can't pretty much do anything that we put our, our heads to. And my advice would probably be to other GCs is that e even when this is over, remember that personal touch. And I'm a bit of a hypocrite to raise that because I tend to be all business. So, uh, uh, it's, uh, that's hopefully a silver lining for me personally is that I'll be a little better when this is over. Andrew, I, I want to uh, jump on that personal touch in your twig. I am actually going to borrow that, so thank you very much. Um, so we are, we are full of actuaries. Actuaries tend to be the most introverted people that exist. You know, they sit yeah. in their office, they crunch numbers, um, you know, they could tell you within a few days that like, they know like three facts about you when you are going to pass away. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, and I will say, you know, I will say, I, our, these, our guys, our leadership has become so good at literally they flip and they're actually putting that personal touch into our meetings, we now have bi-weekly, um, they call them people and community town halls, where they will spend a half an hour giving us facts and what's going on with the company, and um, they have amazing, like, actuarial charts of COVID that is very different from what the government's putting out. Um, and I will, I tend to think that they're a little more accurate, but then they spend a half an hour taking live questions coming in and they prioritize their questions mm -hmm. by people like saying like, 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 and that those right to the top. And really, and my, and my boss is not one, I see her more now that I'm working from home than I ever did when we worked in the office. <laughs> and now she'll call me and everything is a video conference. You know, everything is like chat, so you're always video ready. <laughs> um, and I've, I found things out about my colleagues that I never knew. I've done this whole database transition with one of my colleagues from Germany I found out yesterday she's a dual American German citizen, lived in California for the first 10 years of her life. I never knew that. And 
Yay, Stephanie! <laughs> 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 so, I think I think people are becoming closer, and I take that as a huge positive. That's a, that's a really interesting comment, and 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 it's interesting to hear that from each of you in terms of, and and I think there's some truth to that, even what we're experiencing internally with the firm in terms of an extra effort to try to talk to people, connect to people, find out how they're doing at a personal level might not get even in the office because I think there's a sense yeah. of, Oh my God, it's missing. I can't go by their office and say good morning or, you know, meet them at the coffee pot. So I need to try to reach out, but that's it. That's very interesting. I think two other silver linings that come to mind real quick that one was already alluded to. I'm becoming more technologically savvy. Uh, I think we all are uh, along with the uh, etiquette and everything that goes along with that techno technological savvy. And then there's just little things. Like I was on a large uh, Zoom call the other day, and I could see everybody's faces at one time without having to turn my head around. In a meeting room, you know, if the speaker's to my right, and I turn my head to the left to see how, you know, John or Jane are doing, uh, they're like, why are you looking at me? Well, I can look at you right now at all of y'all simultaneously. Uh, and get to see the demeanors and the expressions. Uh, and uh, you know, Mark, I'm looking right now at the handsome family hanging on the wall behind you, and Christine, the city uh, skyline, and Amber, some of the pictures and stuff in your offices. That's a nice personal touch that you don't get in the office. Now, whether that you know would become a distraction, I don't think so. I think it just it's it's a it's a small silver lining in an otherwise catastrophic situation. Let me shift gears a little bit because I wanted to talk. We've talked about some of the changes with remote work. I'm, I've been trying to think about some of the long-term impacts that COVID-19 is having, even after we're over this crisis, even after you know the shelter-in-place orders are done. You know, how is it changing our work environment, changing our corporate world, and what you know, what kind of legal issues may come from that? And it's sometimes hard. I know we're we're all dealing with the next, you know, what happened next in the last thirty minutes. Uh, new federal law, new crisis on the employment front, all that other stuff. Um, but but if you if we could all just take a breath for a minute, I'm interested if you see any longer term changes as from your position in your companies about how this may be changing the world. We've talked about one, which I think in some ways is this new technological, both intimacy and distance we're feeling with the, you know, with this, with this video world. But I'm interested if there are other things that, you know, that you may be facing or thinking about longer term. Christine, I'll just start with you. And You know, offhand, I would say, even for myself, I'm going to save the environment more because I was so paper focused. I had to get extra filing cabinets delivered to my office, and I still use the file folders. Everything is coded. <laughs> I pull the papers out. I don't have that luxury at home, so I'm learning how to be more electronic and, like, you know, managing my electronic files better and my desktop. And um, so I think long term, again, saving paper. And when you see one person multiplied by millions of people around the globe, that's a positive for the environment. And I know our company, we are really heavily investing in technology that allows us to become more efficient, more productive workers, being able to work remote. And so I think on a go forward where, you know, SCORE, we had a, a, a you could work, if you're, with manager approval, you can work two days a week from home. After this experience, I think we are all, um, you know, being successful at the work from home. I think it's going to open the doors for my own company and, and employees that maybe I can go live and work in a cheaper cost of living center. And I think 
for companies, they'll be able to get talent, right? Talent from all over the world. And you know, you're not located somebody who, you know, the best person who has to move to New York to have the job from, say, Charlotte or anywhere else. Or, you know, maybe I can go live in, you know, Mexico and work remotely from there for $20,000 a year versus $20,000 a month in New York. I just had a conversation um, yesterday with one of our real estate attorneys um, about the fact that uh, it will be interesting to see if we see a shift after this of, of folks, you know, essentially saying, you know what, this work from home thing worked really, really well. I don't know that we need that expensive um, uh, space in, in, in that office building. Um, it'll be very curious to see. Mm-hmm. Thanks for, for our listeners. That's the voice of Brian Ewing, our producer of the podcast. Uh, thank you, thank you, Brian. I do think that's a good. Um, that that is a great comment, and I I am struck by uh, Christine's comment about living in Mexico or a beautiful villa in the Caribbean or something, and you know, and pulling <laughs> in. I mean, it's 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 interesting. What are you are you packing up, Andrew? Does that sound I good to you? <laughs> no, no, I'm just uh, I'm just suggesting here. I have, uh, you know, one of the nice things about remote working is that my bulldog and I are able to play ball while I'm having this conversation. Uh, I think one of the long-term impacts I hadn't, you know, this has been in many ways short-term. For, for some folks, it feels like an eon, but, you know, and maybe for some it's only been a couple of weeks. For others, it's been a couple of months of kind of a lockdown. Uh I think it may have been your firm, Mark, and I apologize, I, I don't remember. I have taken advantage of a lot of webinars on COVID, and there was one about uh, what the impact is going to be post-COVID in terms of uh, regulation. A lot of money is being thrown out to help with a lot of these things, and in fact, I think even the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Secretary Verma, said uh, took like about a third of a I don't know, a trillion dollars, something like that, and it's given on out, and the headlines were no strings attached. Well, of course it's going to be strings attached, but the thing is, is that a lot of this is we're defining, we're having to redefine the regulations. I believe, Amber, you were the one who a couple of times said, and I agree with you, uh, the legal versus the moral and the ethical. Uh, you know, I've always approached uh, my job as a form of risk management. I can tell folks a lot about what the law likely will or will not do. But so the question then becomes with a lot of this is, okay, if we're going to have these flexibilities, we're going to change certain service definitions and certain documentation type requirements, how are we going to protect against the fraud, waste, and abuse that might result from that? How are we going to be able to uh, submit for us in the healthcare industry, make sure that our encounter data is still accurate, that people are still getting the services that they need. Uh, there is going to be a calm after the storm, at which point somebody, several somebodies, are going to start saying, how did we do? And one of the things I have to be careful about is, as I'm talking and being a team player with my organization in terms of, yes, priority one is getting the services on out to our health plan members and making sure our providers are supported in doing that. Uh, I had to be careful that, but please document, please make sure that we've got, if we're making changes in the rules, that we're not doing it on the fly without making sure that it's being approved by the proper authorities and being documented correctly and that we're doing it in collaboration with our regulators, but don't slow it down either. In some ways, it's almost an impossible task of 
do it fast and do it right and think about in the future. Post-COVID, are people going to come back and ask us questions about what we did and why we did it and how we did it? And the lawyer in me says, of course they are. But I can't say that too much on the front end because of the positivity that is necessary and the work that has to get done. So I find a lot of compromise. Okay, this documentation I think we can live without. This one we need to document it, but we don't necessarily need signatures on it. Uh, a lot of that type of thing. Uh, my program integrity department is continuing to take the documents and the investigations they started and they continue to work on those and they're doing uh, a lot of desk reviews, but we're not issuing out the overpayment notices immediately because that's the last thing that the providers need to see. But if we see fraud, we are referring that to the authorities the same way we always would. Uh, that's kind of, I think there's going to be a post-COVID uh, review of what we did and how we did it and us lawyers could be very involved in it. Now that's a, those are great points. Um, I appreciate it, Amber. What are you, what are your thoughts on this post-COVID world or how things might be, you know, changing, particularly in the legal? Well, world? as much as I would love to be uh, joining Christine in Mexico, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll get a villa together. We'll get a little. It'll just be the right? the Mexican law firm right? version, right? We'll just uh, yeah. you know work from the beach. I like it. You can pitch that. Um, as much as I would love that, I, I do work at a company where presence in the office is important. Um, it, it really is. Having that face-to-face -face communication, you know, sometimes there's uh, language barriers that I feel like that face-to-face -face communication really uh, improves. Um, and so as far as, as far as that's concerned, I don't foresee that, at least particularly with my company. What I do see is a push towards assessing where we can now be more productive. We've missed a lot of time. We've missed a lot of deadlines. Um, and looking at my 2020 goals, uh, a lot of those are, are, are now 2021 goals. Um, so there's going to be a real push, I think, for, okay, how do we make up that time? How do we, uh, do we not let 2020 be a bust? Um, because that's just not that's not an option, right? And um, and I can't really make airplane. You can't really make airplanes from Mexico, right? I mean, that's that's true for a lot of our manufacturing clients, right? I mean, they just yeah. you can't. We we're lucky as professionals, right? We can work remotely. You know, Christine can do stuff, you know, remotely. I can work remotely, but right. I mean, the people that are in those factories working, whether they're making airplanes or, you know, components or pharmaceuticals or, you know, I mean, those people have to be there. That That's not a job you can, you can do via Zoom or, you know, whatever uh, your mm -hmm. video thing is. So I do, I think that's a, that is a challenge. And um, mm -hmm. you think, do you see kind of a, this rebound of oh my god we got all this stuff to do and like we're gonna you know add shifts and people are gonna work in person even more post covid is that the kind of when you're talking about trying to Absolutely. make 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 2020 yeah. not a bust that that's what you're seeing yeah. i i definitely think that once things turn to to some some sort of normalcy um i think there is going to be a huge push and with that i think we need to take a lot of caution as well because i think it could be certainly dangerous for everyone to to you know suddenly go back to life as usual but i do think that there's going to be a push once we get past like this this the the, the big part of it if you will i think there is going to be a push for okay 
you know, we lost a lot of productivity. We lost a lot of time. How can we make it up? And maybe that's, and maybe that's adding more shifts. Maybe that's possibly adding another facility. But that being said, I also foresee a little more conservative thinking when it comes to businesses expanding or growing, because there is that uncertainty of what if this happens again next next flu season? Or what if this is something that we have to continuously deal with? And so I think there's that the companies are going to have to find that balance between all right, we got stuff to do. Let's get it done. And kind of want to be careful because we don't want to spend all this money because we don't know what tomorrow might bring. I agree, Amber. Uh, but I also like, Mark, your uh, your point earlier. I think uh, there there is some positivity and some uh, connectivity uh, that this remote has made us realize we can do. And I agree, Amber, there's some things that have to be face-to-face. They just need to be. They're just better. Uh, and we've, we've always felt that. But I do think long-term impact will be is that people will be looking at the remote just a little bit more as, a, as an ongoing uh, possibility. And I think, again, some of the flexibilities that I was talking about in our regulatory approach may be, hey, we, can, we built a better mousetrap. In the process of doing this, we streamlined something. We were able to do it faster. We were able to do it with less paperwork. Why do we need to go back to the way that we were doing it just because it was? It may start questioning things that have just been accepted. Uh, and so I think there, you know, that could be a long-term impact as well over time. Yeah, Andrew, for your point, I see in Latin America our regulators, before everything had to be notarized, apostilled, and then sent down. Now they're accepting mm-hmm. electronic transmission, DocuSign, things that have never been done before, which is really streamlining our efforts and cutting costs. So I yes. want to go forward. I think we've had a lot to learn from this. And um, in a few weeks, we're actually conducting our very first board meetings for all of our American um, companies via, I think it's Microsoft Teams they're using. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. And then on a go forward, is it really necessary to bring on the board members with the costs involved to four quarterly meetings, or can you do you know, every other meeting electronically. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting yeah. to see how this plays out. No, I agree. I'm fascinated by Amber's comment about trying to, you know, gear back up because I think that's one of the things that a lot of our clients are trying to project is the, is this going to be a rubber band snapping back that, you know, we have this downturn, but we have all this pent up desire. So everyone's going to try to crunch to get stuff done once the, once everything's lifted. Is everyone else going to go out shopping? Are the factories going to be working overtime or is it going to be a much slower thing? And I know that's more of a macroeconomic question, but it's something I find clients are really struggling with because they're trying to be conservative because they're worried about liquidity. They're worried about a fall recurrence. On the other hand, things were humming along, you know, in February, (laughs) people were pretty busy and there was a lot of demand. And so there's this sense of how are we going to make up for lost time? And I think that's one of the great uncertainties and and struggles that we're, that we're grappling with in terms of how, what does it look like? Um, you know, when things, quote, go back to normal. And I, we've spent a lot of time today talking about how they may never go back in completely to normal because we're finding we can do stuff remotely um, that we didn't know, you know, was an option. The new normal may be better. Right, right. So I haven't checked the pricing on those Mexican condos, but we'll, <laughs> we'll find, you know, we can probably buy those remotely, right? No need to go to Mexico anymore. We'll do <laughs> You could do power of attorney, but 
you could do power of attorney, but then you are paying U.S. taxes. <laughs> I am, I am don't forget this the North Carolina coast that's right you oh, don't have to go to Mexico that's exactly right I've been dreaming South about Carolina, the beach South house Carolina. Uh, South, Carolina, South, Carolina, South Carolina North Carolina there are a lot of good beaches right here in the US of A I, I agree I does right I mean I had that thought earlier this week I mean my house is nice it's comfortable but why can't I be at the beach or the mountains or somewhere else um, you know, if I'm going to be doing all this remote work, there's no need to be, you know, 20 minutes from the, from downtown Charlotte. I could be anywhere to have this month. Well, and I'm living in an apartment the size of my two walk-in closets in Charlotte. There you go. <laughs> so you could have a lot more space. Yeah, although you wouldn't have the view of Manhattan, you'd have that. You'd have. I wouldn't that have space. the view, but I would have. I would have space. I could. I could take. And if you've gone electronic, you can get rid of the file cabinets. Right. right? <laughs> All you need is a good internet connection. Done. Where, there you where go. Where are you moving, Amber? <laughs> where am I moving? I'll, I'll be in Guatemala. I am curious, um, to, to Mark's point, are there some particular legal issues that you all are kind of already eyeing and readying yourselves for once we do get back to work? The, the number one question that I get is what are what is what is our liability in this? If we have an employee that tests positive for COVID, can we be held liable? Are we responsible? How can we uh, mitigate that that potential damage if we are? Um, what if an employee says they don't feel safe? coming to work. How are we supposed to manage that? Um, and so that's the biggest legal issue that I see. Um, and, and frankly, right now, I think it's it's a bit of a gray area that we don't have a solid answer on, on how that's going to shake out. You know, it's easy when you have uh, a company that's negligent because they didn't provide the right protective equipment for the table saw. It's a little bit different when it's an invisible enemy that uh, that that we still don't know as much as we'd like to about, and mm -hmm. don't fully understand. Uh, you know the best ways of keeping ourselves and our companies and our people safe. And so I think that's that's the question that kind of keeps me up at night: is Are we doing everything? that we can to protect our employees. Um, how is this going to shake out if an employee tests positive? What is our response to that? Because at the end of the day, you don't want to be that company that negligently forced their employees back to work and now half your workforce has COVID. Um, and so that's, to me, that's the biggest issue. That's a great one. And you may not have seen it. I believe yesterday uh, there was a wrongful death lawsuit filed against Walmart on a COVID exposure theme. The, the argument is that the employee was told they had to report to work at Walmart and, you know, and then died from the COVID-19 exposure. Obviously, it's just been filed. There's all sorts of issues around how do you know that's where they got it and all those other things. Right? I think there's all sorts of interesting proof questions, but I think it's not surprising to me that plaintiff lawyers are testing those waters and trying to come up with uh, creative theories. So that's, I think that's a great point. Keep in mind also in the uh, employment arena, they have, uh, at least for the state of emergency, they've changed some of the rules. So for example, under the, uh, I think it was the CARES Act or the Families First or, or one of the 
fast written legislations, uh, FMLA time off now includes paid time off, an actual requirement for paid sick leave, uh, and things like that that weren't there before. And so I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions of whether or not that would follow properly. In addition to, I agree as a general rule, as Amber's point, about just the overall liability for an organization. Uh, it, it'll, it'll be interesting, but there's a lot of laws and regulations that are being passed right now with very little guidance. It just basically says, go forth and do it. And I think it's going to be afterwards you're going to have the real-life situations meeting the legislative regulatory ones, and that's where a lot of this is going to get interesting. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, obviously, you know, if you get sued for COVID-19 exposure, you'll be calling your litigators at Womble or elsewhere saying, you know, <laughs> what, do, what do we do here? Are there things, if, if I imagine you're not the only one that's up at night worrying about this, Amber. Are there things that you are doing? I mean, maybe you've touched on it in terms of not only looking at, you know, what you're allowed to do, but what should you do to keep people safe? I'm wondering if there are tips that you could give, practical tips to the other sleepless GC saying, holy crap, am I going to get, you know, sued for, for COVID-19 exposure that maybe you've come up with or would suggest, uh, you know, to help give those guys some, some better sleep? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think just really making sure that you're educating yourself on uh, what the law is, understanding where you may or may not fit into it. But I think ultimately it really is a gut check. I really do. And I think that if you can answer the question of are you are you doing all you can to keep your employees safe? If that's your number one question, I think you're going in the right direction. I think if you're asking yourself, am I doing everything to keep you know this company running as as normal? <laughs> um, especially as a, as a quote-unquote non-essential business, I think you're starting in the wrong place. We're all a little bit unclear about the best way to handle this. Every day we get new information. Wear masks. Do this. Don't do that. There are <laughs> airborne. It's not airborne. Temperature test. Exactly. Don't temperature test. You know, I, I exactly. know that's, you know, that's one that there's been a lot of flip-flops on. That. But you're contagious before you have a temperature, so why does it matter? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And with so much uncertainty, I mean, you have to go with what information you know. But again, I think it starts with that question. Am I doing everything that I can to keep my employees safe? And if your answer to that is yes, I really I think you're doing the best you can, given these incredibly uncertain times. That's, that's really good. I agree completely, Amber. And in fact, even before this and after this, one of the things I've often advised my staff is, you know, of course, if there's a legal issue or there's something unusual going on, talk to me. But nine out of ten times, if you're doing the reasonable and right thing, it goes to Amber's point about legal versus moral, they're not necessarily different. There's a public myth that all of us lawyers often have to deal with of people thinking, oh, that's a te legal technicality. Well, yeah, there are a lot of legal technicalities out there, but if you delve into them, they're usually based on some moral or policy background. And if you are doing the right thing and you're being reasonable and you're focusing on the things that should be focused on in a crisis like this, you're one step closer to limiting that liability than you otherwise would be. You know, Andrew, when I conduct my compliance trainings, I always say, just because something is legal doesn't mean we should do it. And what would your grandmother say? 
Those grandmothers still keeping us on the straight and narrow. I like it. <laughs> All right, that's fantastic. Well, I know we've we're almost out of time for our podcast. This has been super informative, and I really appreciate you all taking time to share. Let me just see if any of you have any final comments or or words of advice to your fellow in-house folks out there. Amber, anything you want to share as a uh, as a parting remark? Yeah, be patient, be kind, understand what your employees are going through. This is all emotionally draining for, for everyone. And I think being able to empathize, being able to um, roll with the punches, that is critical to, to getting through this time together. Andrew, any final remarks for our uh, listeners? Be well, be safe, be positive. Make sure, you know, that we're modeling the behavior that we want our clients uh, and our organizations to be doing. Great. That is great advice. All, all the important at this time. Christine, I'll give you the final word on, on any tips. I'm going to say ditto to what both Andrew and Amber have said. And really, as leaders, I think we need to be very intentional with our communication. Um, and be very understanding that our employees may have different schedules. They have children or spouses, so, mm -hmm. and they're working in New York. You know, you might have 15 people in one small room. Um, so you, if your employees are working at midnight or is on a different shift, we really have to be flexible. And as long as they're getting their job done, it doesn't necessarily have to happen in the normal course of business hours. And that I think we just, the flexibility is key and the understanding and that empathy. We have to know that this is going to affect people differently. Some people will be perfectly fine, business as usual. Other people are very emotionally involved, and it's, it's more challenging for them. So we, just, we have to be patient and, and empathetic. Fantastic advice from all three of you, and I really appreciate it. Um, that'll bring us to the end of this very unique and special show. Thank you for taking the time, particularly at this crisis period, uh, to talk to our listeners and share that important advice uh, as we go forward and, and, and live in this COVID world. I do want to remind our listeners you can find previous episodes of the In-House Roundhouse and subscribe to this podcast at WombleBondDickinson.com or iTunes, Google Play Store, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, please share them with me on LinkedIn or Twitter or email me directly at WombleBondDickinson.com. We appreciate you listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. See you at the next station. <laughs>